Welcome to the Leaders Table podcast, where policy leaders share the inside stories of their impact on the world, and we capture the secrets behind their success to help you increase yours. Education, diversity, and equity, core American issues. What are the things that I should be pushing for to inspire a movement? Let's, let's dig into that. Welcome, everyone. My name is Jason Jordan, your host for the Leaders Table podcast. We're excited today to bring you an interview with Manny Lamar. Manny is the executive director for Nevada Governor Sandoval's Office of Workforce Innovation. Manny is at the very cutting edge of, of policy. He's leading the Nevada governor's agenda and linking education to career. And I'm joined today by Lakeisha Jordan, who's going to help me to introduce Manny to you. Now, Lakeisha leads leadership development programming and knows Manny well. And like Manny, Lakeisha is a former teacher. She also served as a staffer to a governor. Lakeisha worked for the former governor of North Carolina doing education policy. Lakeisha, what should we look forward to in this podcast? Uh, What I really find valuable about this episode in particular with Manny is how he speaks um, candidly about his fellowship experiences as an on-ramp into his policy work. So we hear often um, and regularly from former teachers that are trying to break into policy that it's hard to gain experience when you don't already have experience to be in Mm -hmm. some of those spaces. And Mm -hmm. I think Manny really highlighted how important it is to truly take advantage of the opportunities that you are given as experiences, even if that includes um, a move across country, uh, working in content areas that you might not be as familiar with when you start, um, and really taking those skills and experiences and marketing them for his next steps. So um, really having a long-term goal in mind that you're consistently striving towards is something that um, was a a key takeaway for me uh, from, from, from what Manny shares. Absolutely. What a great example of of risk leading to uh, joining a rocket ship. Now, what's something specific for our listeners to listen up for as they as they get into Manny's interview? Mm-hmm. So what will be exciting about this um, in particular is how Manny talks about his identity and how that shows up in his leadership. Um, so from his background, um, being born in Haiti, being raised in Miami, being a former teacher, um, he really does lead through his identity um, and um, consistently thinks about his community, um, the community and communities excuse me, that have raised him. Um, and keeps in mind um, those communities as he's leading, as he's working on policy, as he's working to implement equitable policies. Um, and so it's, it's truly inspiring to just really um, see and witness how he carries his community with him and how that remains at the forefront of his leadership, um, even though he is uh, so far, you know, geographically from his, his community. Absolutely. He's quite a leader who I know has also benefited from your mentorship and guidance. With no further ado, let's get into the Leader's Table with Manny Lamar.
Manny Lamar, welcome to the Leaders Table. Thank you, Jason. Um, I'm glad to be here. Super excited about this. Um, really glad to be here. Well, we're super excited to have you. You know, when we sit around and talk about uh, leaders who are up and coming, sitting on a rocket ship, um, really um, quickly moving to a place of impact at, at the crux of not just education, but equity uh, more uh, broadly, we think first of Manny Lamar. So you are the... Thank you so much. You are the newly appointed executive director of, of Nevada Governor Sandoval's Office of, of Workforce Innovation. And so I want to start there by getting you to talk a little bit about what the connection is between economic innovation, workforce development, and educational equity. Got it. Excellent. Um, so, again, thank you so much. So the uh, office is the office of Governor's Office of Workforce Innovation, and really – when we think about workforce uh, development or workforce innovation, I define workforce as the intersection between economic development and education. And that at, on one aspect is gaining the appropriate educational skills um, and credentials to be prepared to work in a new, in new and emerging industries. When the governor created this office, a, a big reason, a big motivation was Nevada was the hardest hit state in the country, um, uh, they were had the highest, you know, one of the highest unemployment rate, they actually had the highest foreclosure rate um, in the whole um, United States during the downturn. And then partly was because there was only two industries that were dominant, which was tourism and mining. And so as, you know, you would expect, when the economy is down, people are not traveling anymore to Nevada. And so that's what kind of um, it precipitated, it, it started going downhill really fast. And so the governor, Governor Sandoval, realized that we needed to diversify our economy. And so when we think about equity, if we don't address the educational gap, it, there's real consequences. One, they're not going to be able to get into these really awesome jobs where there's advanced manufacturing, um, uh, the technology jobs. They're not going to get those. So then that will exacerbate their inequity. And then two, there's a this uh, quality of life issue aspect because then they cannot if you don't can't get those careers or those opportunities, then you have a lower quality of life, which again exacerbates the problem. So that's that's that piece here. Workforce development is the intersection between economic development, bringing companies to a state, and education. How do they find mm -hmm. the individuals to excel within um, their company and overall in the state? Yep. Now, in January, your office put out a report on high-demand jobs in Nevada. Um, and as a part of that report, you presented to the State Board of Education. Uh, you said at the, when that report was released that before we can scale up or scale down our workforce training programs, we need first to identify the high-demand occupations. Now, in identifying those, what are the actions that, that your office and Governor Sandoval is, is seeking for the State Board to take? What does success yes. look like from a policy perspective? Right. That's a great question. Um, so when we look at, when we thought about workforce development and, and what was one of the, the most concrete things in terms of research and, and best practice that can be done is identifying the top in-demand occupations. Because, again, if we connect it back to equity, sometimes um, folks are just not aware of the opportunities, of the, of the best opportunities 
um, where they can either prepare themselves or get the experiences or credentials to um, be ready to excel in. But what we want is for educational institutions, K-12 and higher ed, want to align to programs that we know are in demand. Um, and when we say in-demand occupations, don't really focus on the title of the occupation per se, but it's more so what are the skill sets. And then we also have limited resources, right? Policy is about, you know, what can you do with limited resources? And everyone's fighting for resources in some ways, right? Mm-hmm. And so in, on our end, we have, res- we have limited resources. Um, and, for example, I have uh, $1 million that I'm working on actually granting out now. And what we want to do is we want to ensure that we're not just doing something for the sake of doing it, but we're doing something that means something that there is some concrete, you know, um, light at the end of the tunnel for individuals going through a certain training program. Mm -hmm. Now, let me, let me ask you a little bit about your teaching experiences. Uh, and obviously Miami is, uh, is on the, the country's mind after Moonlight Mm -hmm. just won the, uh, won the Oscar. I was wondering if you could talk about how those experiences come into your, your, your current work. Right. No, that's, and I uh, and I ask about Miami because uh, you're from Miami, of course, as well. Right, 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 right. No, no. Um, yeah. So I'm originally. I was born in Haiti, grew up in Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, um, grew up in Little Haiti in Miami. I taught in Overtown, Liberty City. So Liberty. So uh, a big part of where Moonlight was uh, a film specifically is the Liberty uh, uh, City. So I taught at Holmes Elementary, which is across the street from Northwestern, um, and then across the street from one of the most dangerous housing projects in Miami, which is the Pork and Beans Project. Um, but that experience in terms of shaping my ro- ro- work um, in part has to do actually with a specific experience. And, e- and it was really the experience that triggered or that sparked my initial interest in policy, even though I didn't know what policy was at that time when I was much younger. And it was um, – uh, I remember going to a visit a, 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 a – uh, Bay County Jail. I was doing a tour um, because at that time when I first was teaching, I thought I was just going to teach and go to law school, and that was like kind of my thinking coming out of college. And then I went on this tour, and I remember one of the guards said, um, one of the guards said, if you in, in, if you uh, see any anyone here, don't talk to them, don't speak to them. And I remember a student on the tour, a, a law student, was almost offended that. Um, uh, she was asked this. Que- she was made. Uh, she was asked that question, or um, that statement was made. Sorry, that statement was made because it was like, how would we? Why would we even know these people? And I literally remember one of the first things I did as we walked down was somebody say, "Yo, man, Wash, what's up, man?" And it was a a, a peer that I actually grew up with, uh, uh, who actually passed away after, um, later on. But the reason why I say that is in terms of the. Uh, that which is that there's the human aspect. Like I didn't had the I, I had the relationship with that individual. I you know I had a you know actually even afterwards I spoke in, I spoke with that individual. And for me, Little Haiti or Liberty City, uh, when we think about it's one story is much more nuanced, right? Than what when we think about the hood, it's much more nuanced. People see it as almost uh it's either you know there's a good and there's a bad or something like that in individuals, but their stories and what leads um, to some um, poor choices and negative outcomes 
is a lot more nuanced than that. And so for mm-hmm. me, one, in teaching in Miami, when I taught in um, uh, Liberty City, um, it was about understanding and kind of like unpeeling some of their um, uh, the stories. And I was just fortunate that I can relate um, to some of the challenges because, uh, you know, I, I had some of those very like, same experiences with, with the students um, that the students were going through. But then at the same time, it was just seeing the love. And I think you, you saw this not to spoil, you know, moonlight or anything, right? Which is you saw it, you see it in even the drug dealer who's actually like actually telling you to go to school because they don't want you to do what you, what they're doing, right? They're the one, you know, you know, and when we call it in uh, Creole, a Zoclo, which is hitting you, you know, you know, uh, kind of tapping you on the head to say, hey, you need to make sure you get to school, you get to school on time and things like that. And so the point is, I guess, connecting the pieces is that in my experiences of teaching, um, I, I, I understood a bit of the nuance in terms of what leads to poor choices and outcomes. And it starts with, um, it starts and ends with um, inequity in the education system that, put, that pushes stakeholders or students out, individuals out. Two, in teaching, I was also just, um, trying to understand how can I impact students on a much broader basis. And you hear that all the time, but I really think when you think about policies, policy is really, and I think it's particularly for millennials that say they want to make a difference, I really do think policy is that space because so much of your day-to-day of what you do is, is impacted by a policy. Even as simple as speed limit, right? Like anything you, uh, if you think of any, almost anything you do on a day-to-day basis, there's a policy that manage or governs that action and or why or why you can't do a certain action. And so for me, I wanted to be in a space where I could influence in a way that could, uh, you know, change the conversation, which again, lets you the piece on, you know, work doing the student discipline aspect. But for me, I love, I mean, I love Miami um, growing up there, but I, I saw more, it was much more nuanced than Sometimes, and that's what one of the things I really liked about Moonlight, right, which is that it provided a much more nuanced um, um, view of uh, the opportunities mm-hmm. and the challenges in in Miami. Mm-hmm. And so I taught there, grew up there, taught there, and then after that I um, uh, left for grad school because I wanted to under, uh, and started doing a variety of fellowship because I wanted to understand a much broader way how to impact uh policymaking. You know, I typically say on this podcast, I survived the New York City, or I'm a survivor of the New York City public education system. And it's important to me to always talk about that because I think the further we get away from the specific experiences, whether it's Liberty City um, in Miami teaching there, or if it's, you know, if it's for me, uh, Brooklyn High School, uh, John Jay mm-hmm. High School in Brooklyn, that it's easy to forget the the unique experiences of people when we're when you're kind of looking at the things in the macro, right? It's kind of the, the right, bigger right. the bigger policy issues. Now, I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, what it, the the path that you're on right now. You're a, a brand new executive director of a gubernatorially uh, sponsored office, uh, chartered office. Um, what is it like to start up something like that, to move into that role, um, and to find your leadership in just in the middle of, of organizing everything? I think part of it is, part of it feels like just, I just uh, turned a, a fire hydrant, uh, quite <laughs> frankly, 
Uh, and so the water's all over, but at the same time, I'm just... Just a little, little really sip excited. a day. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly, really <laughs> excited. But it's absolutely exciting, though. Um, it's just an amazing experience. I feel like I've been, a, I've been in this role since June specifically, and I feel like I've been... Do, I mean, the things... I, I really feel like I've been in there for a couple of years in terms of the work and the output that we're doing. The governor has a small staff, um, so he really... Every single person in the office has significant role and responsibilities, and it's always constant. Um, and there, it's always constant. So it's, I mean, it's just, it's just been really fascinating. Even how I thought how bills become laws, like, you know, you kind of see the video, remember, from government class. But it's another layer even deeper in terms of working the day-to-day interaction with legislatures, testifying, um, connecting with stakeholders, trying to get buy-in. Um, so all of that piece has just been really, really eye-opening, really humbling. Um, I have a deeper appreciation um, um, for even bureaucrats, right? When the term, when people say bureaucrats, I have appreciation for the work that they do, <laughs> especially for the folks that are actually able to get the things done um, mm-hmm. pretty quickly because it is, I mean, it is, I mean, it is an amazing experience, but at the same time, it is one, um, there's a, a lot of challenges to it as well. Mm. Now, you're the perfect example of talent meeting opportunity, Manny. Uh, I think um, just knowing you a little bit, uh, being personally selected by a governor to uh, to lead a really important office that's at the crux of of education, workforce, innovation, and and economic the economics of a state is is no small thing. What what do you most attribute your uh, your these unique opportunities that you've had to connect your in, immense talents to this incredible opportunity at just the right time. Right, um, that's a great question. I think that um, a, a few things. Um, the one thing that I was that stands out for me um, in terms of connecting the pieces is being able to be like flexible and I, and and it's funny because I think I remember going to a lead workshop or something like that when they talk about being flexible, actually going through the interview because I did the public policy fellowship um, and that's how I ended up in the governor's office, but being able to be one thing, able to be flexible to con, um, to l- learn new things, even if it's not part of your child responsibility. So when I started as a public policy fellow, I was, deep in the education space. I was not deep in economic development um, and not necessarily even deep in workforce development. But part of what, and, and I remember this advice from a, a former um, uh, a supervisor who said this, which is that any t- they want to hire people that makes, that helps take things off their plate, not people that add things to their plate. And so I think to some extent, um, what has allowed me to make progress is being able to have that mindset where, um, one, I don't need to be micromanaged. I can, I can help take things off your plate. And mm-hmm. the more you can, and the more an individual can come in um, and genuinely be flexible to learning. So I, as much as, um, you know, I, I'm all into sports, like I'm really, really like, you know, a, a secret nerd in the sense that I like learning new things, period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like learning new things for the sake of learning new things, I, even if it doesn't lead to anything. And so when I was doing the public policy fellowship, for example, I would literally say, hey, Dale, like I, you know, I see you're working on this, like, and then I'll either you know, connect with him to learn about it, or I'll just it, like, volunteering myself 
and just start researching and be preparing for it. And so one day I think we were in a meeting and he asked the question and it wasn't my space of, it wasn't the work I was working on then, but I already knew, um, you know, I had already had certain things in mind already because I was just genuinely learning about, you know, workforce development, economic development. So then that helped build my credibility and that, oh, so now it's, it's almost of a, a rebranding yourself, right? Which is part of, part of, I think, career, right? Which is, it's all about how do you um, um, reinvent yourself. And so I think I've went through various iterations of reinventing myself because I would say five years ago, people wouldn't say, oh, Manny is known for education, workforce, and economic development. They would say, you know, early childhood or, edu- or specific to education. Or, whereas now part of reinventing myself is, um, is that passion to learn new things period, for the sake of learning new things, not because you want something specific at the end of the road. It's just because it's fun, and then you just never know when those new things you're learning is needed or when that knowledge is needed. Mm-hmm. Or, um, and so that, I think, it plays a role in it. You're also a good example of, of really maximizing uh, fellowship opportunities for growth. Can you talk about that a little bit? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yes, Um it is so, um, it, it, I think it's just really fascinating. One day I want to write a blog or article or something mm-hmm. about grown-up fellowships and I think <laughs> it's interesting in how they open opportunities. And, and in terms of fellowships, I just really, really, really believe in the power of fellowships. And the reason for that is not just because of my own experience, but even other peers' experience. And so for me, the power of fellowships is that especially when we think about it in the context of equity, it provides you access to opportunities that you otherwise would not have had the opportunity. When, after I did the education partners, I began going to a ton of the lead workshops to really understand where's my fit. Is it in policy? Is it advocacy? Is it organizing? I got my niche within policy, and then I did a lead policy advisor fellowship where I was working with the president of the Dallas School Board. And this is while I was still working, which is, was one of the great things about it back then in 2013 or 2014. Um, and I was working on student discipline issues as a part-time policy advisor um, with Lee's uh, Policy Advice Fellowship. In doing that, I built a really strong relationship with Miguel Solis, who was the then president of the school board. But what I was doing is essentially doing the, the piece in politics, which is research, reflection, and relationships. I always say those are the three R's for policy. And I, was, I got so excited about what we were doing within the, within, uh, within the uh, student discipline aspect. And towards the end of the fellowship, there was a variety of recommendations we worked on that the board adopted. And then coincidentally, they're still working on some of the recommendations now. But I was just open to go wherever I would get a good exp- uh, quality experience where my work matters. And so the fellowship in Nevada, even though I had no connections, I didn't know anyone in Nevada, when I got that opportunity to get that fellowship, I was willing to do it because to really engage in policy, I wanted to get the best experience possible, and Nevada provided that opportunity. So hence, I ended up in Nevada doing the public policy fellowship. I worked with them on the uh, Spending and Government Efficiency Commission. I worked on a variety of other education policy pieces closely with the superintendent of education. Um, the uh, state superintendent of education. And again, going back to my conversation before about just being open to learning new things, um, trying out new things and helping to take things off people's plate, particularly senior leaders. 
when the opportunity opened up, when the governor passed his executive order, it was partly in saying, who do we know that can that have knowledge in this? Who do we know that have relationships to engage in this work? And then and, and I was just blessed that I was in that space and in that conversation and was appointed to this role. So again, the power of fellowship, I think it's that they, one, allow you to experiment and think whether it's part-time or full-time to mm-hmm. really decide if you're going to commit to something. Mm-hmm. But two, which I think is a bigger conversation on equity, right, is that it provides individuals access that otherwise would not have gotten it, right? As a 30-year-old um, African-American, um, a Haitian-American, Haitian-American male, um, you don't see a lot of folks in that specific space in policy, at least nationwide. At least I don't see it. So I, I, I haven't looked at specific mm-hmm, data, on, mm-hmm. data on it. So I'd like to ask you, what um, what advice would you give to your younger self, maybe yourself just coming out of college? Yeah. Um, one is uh, one important aspect that I would prioritize even ahead of time, would have prioritized even earlier was, um, uh, is, you know, prioritizing the relationship aspect. The second thing is one thing I remember that was said to me was that, do you want to speak? Do you want to be heard or do you want to be understood? And I think my younger self wanted to speak more than I wanted to be understood. And, um, as I started maturing, I wanted to be heard more. And now I'm beginning to reflect on wanting to be understood and understand others significantly much more. And so mm-hmm. I think like that, those would be the advice um, I would give uh, to my younger self. And I'm constantly learning even now. Um, and then anyone else that listens to the podcast, don't be afraid to reach out to stakeholders, to reach out to people. Um, that, for me, um, has helped. Uh, you're going to get a lot of no's, but you're going to get – it just takes a few yes um, to, you know, one, open doors, but two, learn from people, right? Learn from other folks. Um, and you can learn from people not just from what they do well, but you can also learn from people from what they don't do well. Um, so – because it just it always seems easier when you're outside, right? Like I always thought it was much easier to do something outside looking in, and it is not. It is really, really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Now, what's the process? Now, what's one thing that you rely on every day? Uh, it could be an app, a tactic, a practice, uh, a piece of technology that uh, helps you to keep it all together. Um, that's a good question. Um, so I would say. Two like uh, two specific things. Um, I don't um, even as a millennial. I don't use a variety of apps, um, or at least specifically to be organized in that sense. But I do two things. One, I actually heard it on a in a, a completely different. Um, I think an article or a podcast or something. But one is whenever I start my day and I get to the office, I take one minute. No, no, m- not necessarily more, not necessarily less, plus or minus um, a minute or two to literally say, what are the most important priorities um, for me for that day? Before, what I would do is I'd write down everything I need to do, but now what I do, I kind of blend it. So I actually have a Word document, um, which is not, not that fancy, but you could do it in Excel, but a Word. And I have five boxes, and I have a row um, Monday through Friday. And every time I get something new, I add it to the first box. But 
the way I start my day is by saying, what if I get one thing done or two things done? And I keep it actually no more than two, quite frankly, because the more you add things, the less you actually end up getting done, which is at least what I noticed for myself. So I put all the other things on there so that I don't forget to follow up on. But I start my day with saying the first 30 seconds, if I get this done today, I know I will have, I can celebrate that today was good. Um, and everything else um, I put on there as they come. So that's one thing I do, which is starting my day with what is the most important thing. Um, of course, I always say a, a short prayer because uh, my mom, whenever she calls me from Haiti, she always asks me if I'm, if I'm going to church or if I'm praying. Mm-hmm. But I, um, I say a short prayer, and it's almost to me it's kind of like a meditation really aspect, but it's not, you know, it's just really short to say, okay, let me start my mind off right. The second thing I do, I, I think that's helpful in terms of organizing and getting through the day, and I've, I've literally recently learned this, which is that I can't respond to every single email. Um, it seemed, and now I'm more sympathetic to folks that, you know, might take uh, a little bit longer to mm-hmm. respond to an email. I try to respond to every email, you know, ideally within 48 hours. But specifically in this role, and it's partly because, again, we're at the start of the legislative session. We have a variety of bills and, and a handful of them I'm the lead on. So I have a my a ton of folks wanting time, and so what I do is say the last thirty minutes of the day. I'll, I'll uh, my last thirty minutes of the day is when I respond to a, a variety of emails. Mm-hmm. The more important, the ones that are prioritized, the ones that are important, whether it's from you know the chief of staff or let's say a legislature, um, I prioritize and respond to them. But I don't respond to every single email every right as I get them because what I when I used to do that. I would literally have a day where all I, oh, actually many days, where all I did was respond to emails. And then I would say, oh my goodness, I needed to, this was, you know, I needed to respond to, th- I need to actually do X, Y, Z. And so those are the ways I, um, and then I use just simple notes from um, my phone and to put things on there that I just don't forget. So it's just one starting out saying, what is the most important thing for the day? And then sticking to that, um, unless there's a fire or something like that. But sticking to that, but having spaces where I add in everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are really the core things that I, I try to do. And the other thing is just try to, um, and I say this all the time to people, is just try to, you know, get a workout in for me. If I go too long where I didn't go for a run, um, I started boxing and being an amateur boxer. Um, I, I try to get some kind of um, active piece, you know, activity mm-hmm. in my day. I don't do it, and especially now I'm not successful every day at all. But it's getting that your mind right. I just think it helps. I um, mean, it's really important, and it's mm-hmm. been helpful for me. Mm-hmm. Have you found a uh, found good sauce pie in in, uh, in Nevada? Oh, you know, it's uh, <laughs> so I have. Well, you know what, I have not, and I, I actually think like <laughs> that is the. Um, um, I was just in Miami a few days ago, and I definitely. Um, had to bring some on uh, uh, with me because every once in a while I gotta <laughs> I gotta get my taste of it. But the good thing is, because um, I mean, Suspi is just like a, I mean, it's you just don't have rice without Suspi right. um, in Miami or in Haiti. You just don't. It just it doesn't happen. It, it's not even uh, human to do that, right? <laughs> um, but the good thing is, I've learned how to make it though. And mm-hmm. um, I always joke with my mom now when I call her in Haiti. I say. You know, now, you know, it's, I'm, I have a pretty, you know, I have a science to it. And it's funny because I do every single thing, you know, very tight. I say I'll, I'll, I'll take out 
the green onions in a specific way. I take out the garlic in a specific way. And she always laughs at me because she just And it's not quite there, is it? And it's not quite there, right? She doesn't even measure anything. She doesn't measure anything. They just, just throw in the ingredients and it comes out perfect. And here I am, like, trying to measure every single thing. And um, But, yeah, so I haven't found, I haven't found any soft spot here. But the good thing is um, I've learned to make it. Otherwise, I would not um, survive. Um, I, would not, I don't know if I'd be alive right now. Right. <laughs> you know, in Spanish, grandmothers say, you know, you ask a grandmother how much, how much of a seasoning or whatever do you put in, say, you know, un chin. Well, how much is right. a chin? I don't, I don't know what a chin is. Is that like just right. a little? Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. And it was like, it, you know, again, this, it, it goes through it. And even for me, the, the patience and the process, right? Like, come on, I need to know the specific formula, right? I just need to know, <laughs> I, I need to know exactly. And even the funny thing is, even they don't have the, but they, the outcome is always perfect. Right. And um, <laughs> there's something too, I think, right, in, in their sense, right, trusting their process, trusting right. their experience. And whereas I'm just trying to get it all down perfectly, and that may, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it's not. So. Um, experience is an amazing teacher absolutely Manny Lamar thank you so much for spending your time with us for your generosity of spirit we are incredibly proud of your leadership of your story and of all that you are helping Governor Sandoval to accomplish for the the people of of Nevada thank you so much uh, Jason and Molly I appreciate it Um, like I said before I'm really humbled just because you all have really great people on this podcast I'm just really humbled for this um, experience um, and the opportunity to uh, speak to folks. Again, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. And um, feel free to reach out anytime. Thank you, sir. We'll talk again. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Like this interview? Follow us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also visit www.educationalequity.org leaders table for more resources to grow your impact. Tweet us your questions for future interviews at Lee underscore national. Thanks so much. Your host at the Leaders Table is Jason Urenz. I am your producer, Molly Stevens. And thanks to John Stevens for our music and editing. 